Hello, everyone. This is Bishop Rhodes. As many of the listeners or all the listeners know, the United States bishops have urged prayer and fasting during these weeks in light of the leak of the draft ruling of the U.S. Supreme Court, the ruling that would overturn Roe v. Wade. And the chair of our U.S. Bishops Pro-Life Committee, uh, Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, urged our prayerful action ahead of the actual Supreme Court decision. And I thought it would be appropriate to pray to our Blessed Mother, the Mother of Life, during this time as we continue to fervently pray for an end to that or a reversal of that very unjust decision of the Supreme Court in 1973. I thought an appropriate prayer to Our Lady would be the one that Pope St. John Paul II uh, wrote, and it appears at the end of his great encyclical, Evangelium Vitae, the gift of life, or the gospel of life. So why don't we pray that today? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Mary, bright dawn of the new world, mother of the living, to you we entrust the cause of life. Look down, O mother, upon the vast numbers of babies not allowed to be born, of the poor whose lives are made difficult, of men and women who are victims of brutal violence, of the elderly and the sick, killed by indifference or out of misguided mercy. Grant that all who believe in your Son may proclaim the gospel of life with honesty and love to the people of our time. Obtain for them the grace to accept that gospel as a gift ever new, the joy of celebrating it with gratitude throughout their lives, and the courage to bear witness to it resolutely in order to build, together with all people of goodwill, the civilization of truth and love to the praise and glory of God, the creator and lover of life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop responds to the leaked draft opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court case Dobbs v. Jackson, which would reverse Roe v. Wade. Hear his explanation and call to action on this episode. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you again for joining us. You're welcome, Kyle. We're going to talk about a statement that you released today about the Dobbs versus Jackson case with the Supreme Court potentially overturning Roe versus Wade. And this is a difficult topic for some people, especially those that have had an abortion or supported somebody that's had an abortion. The conversation might be opening up wounds, um, maybe even name calling, being called a murderer. What message would you have for somebody that has had an abortion? Yeah, the church is wants to extend the mercy of Christ. You know, God is is rich in mercy. Project Rachel here in our own diocese that assists women who have had abortions and are, you know, suffering because of it. Project Rachel is a wonderful thing. The founder just died a couple of weeks ago, Vicki Thorne. Uh, what a wonderful woman and. Now Project Rachel is all over the country. Even in the encyclical 
Evangelium Vitae by Pope John Paul II, he had a special word that he extended to women who have had abortions, you know, and really encouraging them not to despair, but to receive the Lord's mercy. Mm-hmm. And some of the, I know some women who've had abortions who are very active in the pro-life movement and very active in, in helping other pregnant mothers because they know the suffering that abortion causes. So, so yes, we're not out there name-calling or condemning. No, that goes against the gospel. The gospel of life is also the gospel of mercy, mm. and we're all sinners. Right. Before we get into the statement that you released today, can you give us a little background on why you wanted to release a statement and maybe some of the thought that went behind it? Yes, I mean, the statement has to do with the draft ruling that was written by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito in the case before the Supreme Court, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. The draft ruling that was leaked and published by the news organization Politico on May 2nd has the draft ruling calls for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Of course, the leaking of such a, a document is, is pretty appalling. At the same time, what I think is important is that we pray during these weeks before the, the final ruling is issued, that we intensify our prayers at this very important time in our country. And also, as, the, as Archbishop Lori has urged, also fasting, because we know that prayer and fasting together are especially powerful. So I decided, I think this is such an important issue. Of course, it's all over the news. There are a lot of people upset. Those who are pro-choice, pro-abortion, they're protesting. And at the same time, so many of us are hoping that unjust Supreme Court decision of over 49 years ago will be overturned. So I'll read the statement that is being released today. The draft opinion of the Supreme Court case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization leaked last week has generated angry protests from those who oppose the reversal of Roe v. Wade. For us who are pro-life, the overturning of Roe v. Wade would be an answer to prayer, the correction of a Supreme Court decision 49 years ago that failed to protect the most basic human right, the right to life. In 1973, the U.S. bishops called the Roe v. Wade decision erroneous, unjust, and immoral. It was a tragic and sweeping decision which denied the child in the womb the right to life and led to the deaths of millions of unborn children in our nation. The Roe v. Wade decision has also led to the further erosion of the value of human life, even the allowance for partial birth abortion near infanticide, as well as a diminishment of respect for the lives of other vulnerable people, including the disabled and the terminally ill, as seen in euthanasia and assisted suicide. With cautious optimism, we await the final ruling of the Supreme Court. Together with my brother bishops throughout the United States, I call upon the people of our diocese to be fervent in prayer during these weeks. For 49 years, we have prayed for a reversal of the tragic Roe v. Wade decision. 
We bishops also recommend fasting during this pivotal time in our nation. We stand ready to assist and accompany any woman or couple facing unexpected or difficult pregnancies. We are part of the USCCB's Walking with Moms in Need initiative and continue to be committed to offering loving and compassionate care through our parishes and dioceses, Catholic charities, and our support of the women's care centers and other collaborators devoted to helping moms in need. Though we are hopeful for the reversal of Roe v. Wade, such a reversal will not end abortion in our nation. Permissive abortion laws will continue or increase in many states. Here in Indiana, we will need to continue to advocate for legislation to protect the unborn and to help their mothers. And we will need to continue to work for the evangelization of our culture, since in many ways since Roe v. Wade, what St. John Paul II called a culture of death has grown and spread. We evangelize by proclaiming, living, and serving the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of life, the gospel of love and mercy. We serve the good of society when we teach and educate and form consciences about the dignity of every human person at every moment and in every condition. We serve the gospel of life when motivated by love, we care for the poor, the marginalized, migrants and refugees, the elderly, the suffering, and all who need assistance. I hope and pray that a Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade will mark a new beginning in our nation. In the short term, it will undoubtedly elicit angry protests, as the leak of the draft opinion has. I pray that in the long term, it will help to awaken the conscience of our nation to the sacredness of all human life. May the Lord strengthen us in our commitment to the gospel of life. May he bless our nation with a new culture of love and solidarity, a culture that respects the dignity of every human person from the moment of conception until natural death. Thank you for sharing that with us, Bishop. Can I ask what the process is for writing something like this? Like, how, how were you first convinced that you needed to do something like this? And then how do you go about deciding what to put in it? Oh, interesting. Uh, well, I've been reading the news. Mm -hmm. So the past week, you know, reflecting on what's happening and the various commentaries that are coming out from both pro-life uh, sources, but also from those who are very angry that mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade could be overturned. So thinking about all of this, I just think and, of course, pray and then take up my pen and start writing. I did Literally want Literally pen and paper, not, not typing. Right, right. Okay. Well, sometimes I do it by typing, sometimes pen and paper, okay. right? It depends on where I'm at <laughs> yeah. and if I have my computer. So when I was thinking about this, I definitely wanted to be at a word of, of encouragement to pray. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make that important. I also want to say why this is so important and also reiterate the tragedy of that Supreme Court decision 49 years ago. Yeah. And to be honest, I was thinking a lot about that kind of remembering. I was a sophomore in high school hmm. in January 1973. Where were you, Kyle? I was uh, negative six years old. <laughs> I figured. Yeah. 
Well, I remember being a sophomore and I remember being appalled. And, and I remember all my friends and everyone being appalled by the decision. I mean, really, it was a very, very sad day. You know, because prior to Roe v. Wade, abortions were happening, but it was quite limited. Prior to Roe v. Wade, it was up to the states. And mm-hmm. probably the more liberal abortion laws were in the state of New York. And because in New York, prior to Roe v. Wade, they allowed abortion within the first 24 weeks of pregnancy. Of course, Roe v. Wade expanded that. Mm -hmm. And that was, and there were a couple other states similar to New York, states like Washington, Alaska, and Hawaii. They had similar permissive abortion laws, but they required residency in the state in order to get it. But, But then there, and there were probably about a dozen, 12 or 13 other states had laws permitting legal abortion in certain circumstances. And that was it. All the other states prohibited abortion except to save the life of the mother. So it was pretty radical. Roe v. Wade just expanded access to abortion. Mm -hmm. And of course, it did it according to the trimesters, but in reality, it became abortion on demand. So all through pregnancy, you know. So in any case, I was reminiscing about that. And I remember how, as I said, it, it just seemed like the injustice of it, the, the lack of respect for unborn life. As a teenager, I remember being appalled by that. I remember all my friends being appalled by it. There was a lot of upsetment. Now, abortion was being debated, legal abortion in the 1960s and early 70s. Roe v. Wade was pretty, it was like an earthquake, really. I mean, you know, I'm not going to get into the legal things. We could have a lawyer on here, but to somehow see the right to abortion in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of crazy. But in any case, I mean, when you see in the Declaration of Independence, talking about the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and even in the Constitution, Constitution doesn't mention anything about abortion. What they did in, in Roe v. Wade, they struck down laws in Texas and Georgia that regulated abortion. And stated that the unborn child is not a person in the terms of the 14th Amendment. Mm-hmm. And then it also said that the right of privacy encompasses a woman's decision to terminate a pregnancy. And of course, the right of privacy isn't an absolute right, and it's not even explicitly mentioned in the Constitution. So basically, they were saying, well, the right of privacy takes precedence over the right to life. And the church rejected that decision. Actually, just this past week, I was reading the statements of the U.S. bishops back in 1973, and and they were very strong. And I remember we even started mobilizing back then, I was only a teenager, the pro-life efforts of the church. Mm-hmm. And here we are 49 years later. Of course, we believe that, I mean, why the, the opinion of the court was wrong, you know, from a legal standpoint, Again, I'll leave that to the lawyers, but as I said, how that was seen as as somehow ruling under the Constitution interpretation, that is very uh, far-fetched. But also, as believers, of course, it's contrary to the fundamental principles of morality. Mm-hmm. We believe as Christians, as Catholics, that human life is valuable and sacred from conception to death because God's the creator and he created us in his image and likeness. And we don't believe that any court or any legislative body or government leader has the right to take 
uh, human life in this way, that basically this is immoral. So as I said, the Declaration of Independence talked about how all people are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we don't believe that, that these rights are created by humans. These are rights that come from our creator. And there's no right more fundamental than the right to life. So, as I said in my statement, you know, the bishops back in 1973 rejected Roe v. Wade and its opinion as erroneous, unjust, and immoral. And then, right away, the bishops kind of mobilized the church in the United States on how we should respond to this. And first of all, the bishops said Catholics must oppose abortion as an immoral act. And Catholics are not obliged to obey a civil law that would require abortion. Mm. And we've seen that. We've seen attempts to make our Catholic hospitals, for example, perform abortions. Right. The bishops reiterated how abortion has always been considered a very serious violation of God's law. The importance that we needed to do everything possible to create a pro-life atmosphere. And especially with physicians and healthcare personnel to promote protection of the unborn child. The bishops back then really spoke about not succumbing to social pressure to perform abortions, you know, encouraging doctors not to succumb to that pressure and to really do what doctors are meant to do, and that is provide for the welfare of both the mother and the unborn child. Mm -hmm. The bishops then also urged those in the legal profession to also be involved and, and also to articulate and safeguard the rights of fathers of unborn children. Of course, they were completely neglected by Roe v. Wade. And also, there was encouragement of pro-life initiatives, efforts of pro-life groups to offer alternatives for abortion, for, to abortion for distressed and needy pregnant women, to try to restrict abortion as much as possible and to assist and also to fight against any legislation that would come forward that would grant even more permissive laws regarding abortion. So all that has happened. I mean, you think the last 49 years and the persistent efforts of pro-life groups and our churches and schools and even you know beyond the church to instill reverence for life in all stages. Unfortunately, Roe v. Wade did lead to an erosion, as kind of predicted, erosion of a belief in these basic moral truths, and has led to things like euthanasia, assisted mm -hmm. suicide, and not respecting the lives of the terminally ill or the elderly or the disabled, and even in the case of abortion, all the way up, way beyond what Roe v. Wade really said, but partial birth abortion, and near infanticide, as I say in my statement. Did you, at the time of Roe versus Wade decision, think that you would see a reversal in your lifetime? Or Yeah, I mean, I was hopeful because there was a lot of pro-life sentiment. And I remember participating in the March for Life as a high school student. I don't remember if it was when I was a junior or senior, whenever the first March for Life was. If it was in 74, I'm not sure, or 75. 
you know, there was great hope in the, was it 1992, the Casey decision? There was more hope at that mm -hmm. point for a reversal of the Roe v. Wade decision. So I think there was a lot of hope up until that decision. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I would say my hope diminished. Yeah. So here we are in 2022, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more to discuss. Uh, if you have any questions for Bishop, don't forget you can text the Holy Cross College text line, which is 260-436-9598. And we will continue to take a look at the recent case before the Supreme Court, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And also a lot that you said, Bishop, in your statement about our need to care for life in all of the situations. So that's coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop talking about the recent leak of the Dobbs versus Jackson case and Bishop's statement, which, by the way, you can find if you go to org slash bishop. There's a down towards the bottom, there's a whole bunch of different statements from bishop, and the latest will be there as well. org slash bishop. We'll have a link in the show notes for this episode as well. But bishop, one of the things that you mentioned in your statement there is, and I think this is a really important thing, if this is overturned and women are not able to get abortions anymore, even if they are able, it doesn't, because they can go to other states or whatever, there's a still a lot of work for the pro-life community. And I think there's a lot of accusations getting thrown around like pro-life people only care about women having babies and then don't care about them anymore. And we're not doing anything to, to take care of these women that are in difficult situations, the babies born into difficult situations. What is our obligation moving forward or even starting today or <laughs> four right. years ago? Yeah. No, that's a great point. And that's why the USCCB has this Walking with Moms in Need initiative, because we want to make sure that women in need, pregnant women in need, know that the church is here for them, mm -hmm. to accompany them, to help them, to assist them. And I'd say what's isn't covered enough is we already have these services. I think what's new about this initiative is that we're asking all of our parishes to to be involved in the sense that any woman or any uh, expectant mother in need would be able to be assisted at the parish to get the help that they need. I mean, here in our diocese, we have so many great services. I mean, we have a number of women's care centers, and they provide amazing care to moms in need and also to their fathers. And it's not just while they're pregnant, but also after the baby is born. Right. So we just want to make sure that this is, is better known, that women in difficult circumstances 
No, even if, I mean, we even have residents, people, you know, for some, a woman who, who needs a place during that time. So we have the St. Joseph shelter in Fort Wayne and we have the Hannah's house in South Bend. So there are so many services available. I mentioned women's care centers. Also the Christchild society is always there to help. There are so many Catholic charities, very prominent, you know, our echo program, which helps pregnant teens to finish high school. And we have a very big success rate, like 95%, I think, will carry the baby to term and also graduate from high school. So there's just so much support that's there that we have. It's a question of getting out there so people, women know that they will be supported in these ways. That's essential. I mean, we love these mothers and we want to help them and care for them. Abortion not only kills their babies, but also can have such devastating effects on women, not only spiritually, but psychologically, um, you know, and um, it's, it can be emotionally very, very harmful mm -hmm. and even physically sometimes. Anything else about this case that particularly maybe you mentioned you're watching a lot of news or reading a lot of news Anything that you've been following here that you'd like to, to call our attention to? Well, I think, as I said in my statement, the reversal of Roe v. Wade won't end abortion mm -hmm. in our nation. You know, there are many states where it will continue to be legal and they'll have very few restrictions, if any, mm -hmm. on abortion. Think of states like New York and California. So the thing is, we'll be better off in states like Indiana. But I'm sure there'll be more permissive abortion laws in Illinois. So Indiana women can go next door to Illinois. So the thing is, this is a big, big problem, and it's a cultural problem. And that's where I talk in my statement about the need for a evangelization of culture. And there's so many things wrong within the culture that allow for an attitude that is pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. Just, first of all, the denial of the truth about the dignity of the human person and of the unborn child, the fallacy that this unique individual human being is, is part of the body of the mother, kind of the framing of this as something in, that is, is about women's health. I mean, there's just so many errors, even from a scientific point of view, mm -hmm. not just from a religious point of view. So a lot of education is needed but also just the formation of consciences about the dignity of every human person. And this is not just for believers. I mean, for believers especially, but because if we believe God is the creator and author of life, how can we justify taking that life? But even unbelievers, I mean, this is something within, like we would call part of natural law. I mean, there are societies non-Christian societies or non-religious societies that still, because they see this, would respect unborn human life because it's just kind of the natural instinct of mm -hmm. the person is to preserve life and to see that life is precious and valuable. So how do we awaken the conscience of our nation? I think it's by living our faith not only by the way we talk, but by the way we show love for one another, by the walking with moms in need, by our outreach in love to pregnant 
women. We have to show solidarity and we need to be consistent. We should also have, you know, love and care for all those who are vulnerable, all those whose lives or dignity is threatened, including the elderly, including those who are suffering. Special solidarity and love for the poor, for migrants and refugees. I mean, the Catholic Church, this is so beautiful, has a consistent ethic of life. And I think the more we talk about this and the more we show it mm-hmm. by our actions, by our witness, that will help build a culture of life. And we can't respond to the angry protests with hateful rhetoric mm-hmm. in response, as t- tempting as that might be. No, we have to respond with, as I've seen many pro-life responses, with endurance and with courage, but always with charity. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be difficult in the short term, very difficult. And I don't know what the long term will be, but I'm hoping and praying that long term there can be a building of a new culture of life, of love and solidarity. Yeah, It's hard when one's perspective philosophically is relativistic or secularistic. It's hard when you have entertainment media and others who promote abortion. In a sense, we need to be more present in the media, in the world of entertainment, because, and in the world of universities. Hmm. I think if we're going to transform the culture, certain institutions have had undue influence that has not been good. Yeah. Well, and like you said, you know, we need to be praying and fasting, but also take action to to support people that are doing good work, whether it be financially or getting involved, volunteering, not being combative and not showing anger with anger, even with online interactions, you know, that, that we can we can state the truth, but do it lovingly and, and realize that different people may have been through different things and experienced different things. And Bishop Barron always talks about being winsome in your yeah, approach, you know, right. to, to, to be loving as, as we do share and, and try to, to maybe encourage others. Well, thank you, Bishop, for your guidance in this and your statement. Again, people can find that statement at diocesefwsb.org slash bishop. And all the statements are always posted there, F, diocesefwsb.org. Again, a reminder to pray, to fast, and to get involved do what we can to support all these different great pro-life pregnancy centers and outreaches, and not just for newborns, but for all life. So thank you for that reminder. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.